For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Okay, everyone, welcome to this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. Uh, I'm Matt Moderno. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Larry Hughes. Uh, Larry, how are you doing this week? Uh, we're making it, man. We're maintaining it. Little by little here. We're uh, lucky to be joined here today by kind of an important guest, given um, you know everything that's going on in the country right now. So normally, we kind of do the basketball resumes to introduce people. I think today might be a little uh, more important and impactful to, to give kind of the full resume. So a lot of you will know him as uh, you know seven-year uh, Wizard Center Atan Thomas, but poet, author, activist, you know, scholar, all kinds of good stuff apply. Atan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Larry set this up, and I was really, really excited to see that because I had actually just started your book. Okay. Like four days ago, maybe. So this was pretty good timing. Um, but uh, athletes and activism right now is uh, kind of a a big thing in, in you know sports and just society overall and you literally wrote the book on the topic we matter athletes and activism uh maybe you could start by telling the listeners a little bit about about what that you know effort was like so you know with that i i, I want to do a lot of different things I, I wanted to um encourage younger athletes to start using their voices more uh so that's really what that was a big motivation for me to write the book so i wanted to to it's a collection of different interviews uh, about maybe you know 45 to 50 people um, and I started off at, at, with the, uh, the pioneers, the people that I grew up admiring, uh, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and uh, Moon Abdul-Roof and Craig Hodges and John Carlos, you know, that, that crew. And um, then I, you know, I went to the, the current athletes like D. Wade and Russell Westbrook and Carmelo and Eric Reed, And I wanted them to talk about, you know, what was the motivation for them to start uh, speaking up? Because for a while, it was kind of quiet. You know, there was a period of time where athletes weren't really speaking out on a lot of things. And then now there was this kind of resurgence that happened, um, you know, with, with Kaepernick and a little bit before Kaepernick as well. So, and it all circled around police brutality and non-accountability and the police, you know, kind of having a license to kill and never being held accountable for it. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to go right to the source and talk to the family members of the victims of police brutality. Um, because at that time, when I was writing it, you know, that was right in the middle when everyone was trying to shift the narrative and say that, you know, Kaepernick was kneeling because it was disrespectful to the flag, disrespectful to the veterans, and disrespect, you know, even though he clearly said, I'm not kneeling because, you know, I have respect for the veterans and I have family, you know, he clearly laid out why he was kneeling. So I wanted to talk to family members of the victims of police brutality. So I talked to uh, Trayvon Martin's brother, Javaris, and um, Eric Garner's daughter, Emerald, and Terrence Crutcher's uh, sister, Tiffany Crutcher. Uh, that happened in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I actually went to school with, with, with uh, Tiffany, so I really know her. 
and then uh, Philando Castile's mother and his, his, his sister, Eliza. So I wanted to get their perspective of everything. And um, that's where, that's how it all came about. Yeah, and it, it was something about, I mean, I, I really wanted to make sure we got you on, obviously to give you another platform uh, mm -hmm. to speak your words. Um, we've been knowing each other for a long time and, and mm -hmm. you're definitely one of those guys where you know what time it is. Like you, you, you look and you talk to that guy and, and you, you realize that he knows what time it is. So, you know, I, I remember those, those looks used to give us when, you know, using using certain certain languages and talking yeah. about you know, certain <laughs> things but it was uh <laughs> you, you knew we knew where you stood and uh, right. you know just giving you a chance to obviously have another platform to speak um what a lot of us don't know and we talk about you know just being an activist and getting your word and using your voice mm -hmm. um but we all need some sort of teachers and we need to understand what you know all the different paths to to making our voices heard so definitely, you know, appreciate you coming on to, to, to talk about that. And even, you know, with those guys, you know, those those elder statesmen, so to speak, uh, that you spoke to, mm -hmm. you know, how do they or is there any sort of comparison needed? How do they match up or stack up uh, with the conversations that guys are having today? You know, that were in their position, uh, that are in their position today. You know, it's interesting because the guys I spoke to, they all give props to all the young guys, all of them. Like I didn't see, talk to anybody. Oscar Robinson was praising Westbrook and LeBron and you know what I mean? And Kareem was praising everything that D Wade is doing. And, and, you know, it's interesting because right now we're having a time where um, Kyrie Irving and Dwight Howard and Avery Bradley, um, and they took a position that a lot of people disagreed with and they immediately jumped on them. You know, you saw on, the, on ESPN, if you either Monday or Tuesday, sometimes the days get kind of mixed up. But every program was just taking turns, swinging at them. You know, Stephen A. Smith, you know, then you had, you know, um, Michael Wilbon and Charles Barkley came on and he was swinging at them. Like they were just, and they were using inflammatory language like they're foolish and they're stupid and they're dumb for trying to, for once, you know, Kyrie said, made a statement, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but he basically was saying that he didn't, you know, he was hesitant about starting the, the restarting the NBA now because he didn't want it to take away from the attention from everything that's going on in the world. And it was like they just jumped on him. And I, 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 I was like, well, wait a minute. Now there's historical com um, context with this because Kareem didn't go to the 68 Olympics for that very reason. And he said it. You know, I, I literally interviewed him. And, and, and have the video of him saying why he didn't go to the 68 Olympics. But then you have John Carlos, um, who also interviewed, and he chose to go to the 68 Olympics, and he used that position as platform to make a statement that even resonates today. And I think both of them deserve respect. And I, and I, and I posted on my you know, social media, I said, well, will Stephen A. Smith call Kareem Abdul-Jabbar foolish for not going to the 68 Olympics? You know, would Charles Barkley call him um, dumb for not going to the 68 Olympics? And it's just, you know, it's, it's, that, it's that tough road where, where you're, when you're in it, like immediately, um, you're not appreciated for your stance until afterwards. So, you know, like Muhammad Ali wasn't appreciated in his heyday. They hated Muhammad Ali. You know, now afterwards, all oh, is the statues and the museums and everything like that. But with his heyday, oh, he was like public enemy number one. And, you know, that's, that's just what happens now with athletes as well. Where, where would you stand? Uh, in the situation of the restart, uh, all with the virus aside, where, 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 where do you stand? Well, I, I can see both sides. You know, and I, I have to give a lot of respect to to um, Kyrie Irving because I saw the the coalition that he that he formed, 
and I was reading their statement. And that one I can, you know, I can speak to because I was watching um, The Jump, Rachel Nichols, right, mm -hmm. uh, yesterday. And she was talking about it. And she said um, that, you know, the coalition led by Kyrie Irving and Avery Bradley are calling for specific changes like the hiring of more black coaches and front office executives and for team CEOs to take a larger role in instigating tangible change in their communities and um, their cities and not waiting for the players to solve it for them. And that's huge. So, so what they're doing is right now, you, and she, she put up the list of all the CEOs. She put up, you know, um, you know everybody, Mark Cuban, um, uh, Ted Leonsis, everyone, right? And showed what they're worth. And they're all billionaires, like with a B. You know, so that's a whole different level of worth. So all of these billionaires, and they totaled up to like something crazy, like $350 billion. So all of those billionaires in their respective cities they have weight. Their voice has weight. They have political ties. So it's nice for them to, you know, um, make a statement, a team statement that says Black Lives Matter or that, you know, George Floyd's murder was wrong or something like that. That's cool. But really, y'all have the power to really influence change. You have the power to put pressure on the police departments in your respective cities um, to change different policies that would be a little bit more uh, uh, towards the police reform that we need. And so Kyrie Irving and the, his coalition, they're pushing for that and holding teams accountable. That's, that's brilliant. You know what I mean? That hasn't been done before. So yeah, a lot of people are getting caught up on them saying that they, they're not sure if they want to play. And, you know, that's kind of minute in the bigger scheme of what they're trying to do. Um, so, uh, you know, you have to be able to look at you know both sides of it and say okay and i think there's room for discussion i think there's definitely room for debate room to pre present different options and different things that you can do i definitely feel that um but i don't think they should be kind of you know made to be foolish like Stephen a smith said and dumb like charles barkley said because they have a, a different a different method to uh the same goal that they're trying to achieve I think uh, Austin Rivers is one of the names that comes to mind of somebody who sort of took the opposite approach and said, mm -hmm. you know, we should play, we should use those opportunities to, to speak out and, and maybe it's using those interviews to kind of bring light to certain things or, mm -hmm. or even the extra money we make from playing that. That's more stuff that we have to donate. But I haven't heard too many people kind of, you know, on that side of things speak out. Um, it's been a little just like, well, certain people don't agree, but I don't know if that's because they're not willing to come out and say that or whatever, but, but can't both guys kind of be right there? Uh, definitely. Just... Definitely. The same way that both John Carlos and Tommy Smith and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the way that they handled 68 Olympics is, is worthy of respect. Um, I think both, both can be right. I, I just don't like the inflammatory, you know, and that's the thing with the media, you know, nowadays the drama and the, you know, inflammatory remarks and things like that, that's what gets the clicks. I get that. I understand how that works. But I just wish there was more room for a civil debate, the civil discussion where you present opposing ideas and, you know, you can see one person's perspective and see the other person's perspective. And then you come out even respecting each other, even if you have completely different perspectives. I think there should be room for that. It doesn't have to turn into what, unfortunately, ESPN has turned into a lot of a lot of times. And it's, it's getting worse. I'm telling you, it seems like it's getting worse. Like, I don't know if it's. They're trying to drop, you know, pull up the drama because we don't have any sports to go to, but it's getting worse. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think using those keywords, perspective, and mm -hmm. you know, a proper platform to communicate 
because a lot of these things are, are blurbs or, or quick, you know, blogs or, or whatnot that they're just given half of the story or half of the comment. So, right. you know, all of the context is missing and there's no perspective that you can, you know, that you can gain from, from that communication. Very so, great. I mean, it's a, it's a weird situation. We talk about the brotherhood and, and the separation of, of, you know, the 450, mm-hmm. but these conversations are important. So I think that, you know, bringing guys in to spark these conversations like a Kyrie, I think that, that that's, that's needed. I, I, I support him, you know, 100% in the fact that he's willing to make a comment and he's willing to give information behind it, whether right. it's his perspective, his view, but at the same time, it's, it's, throwing some information in the fire so we can we can begin to talk about it. And it's all in the presentation. I mean, you don't have to Stephen A. Smith the topic. You know what I mean? And be all extra dramatic and, you know, he, he's foolish and is he out of his mind? You don't have to do all of that. Just present your opposing view. That's it. You don't have to make the other person look like they're the most ridiculous person on the earth and this is the most ridiculous, you know, idea that has ever been known to man. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. And that's that's my issue with it. You know, it's it's frustrating, but I, I see I see those are what that's what gets the clicks, you know. And I and I, I you know and I'm not trying to bash Stephen A. Smith because there are different things that he presents that I agree with, you know. I, I just don't like the the personal attacks when you disagree with what someone says. I think you should kind of keep it to what the actual topic is and and present your perspective, but the personal part should be left completely out of it. There there was a time when when you did speak up about about the war in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And there, there was some pushback uh, from different angles. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on, on that? I mean, how does that compare to, you know, what's going on today? Is, you know, do you feel that teams or media is handling that different? You know, what, what's your thoughts on that? Well, the thing is, we didn't have social media back then. <laughs> so that's, that was a big difference. So, I, you know, I, will, I, will, I remember after I spoke out um, the war, and I had been speaking of different things around D.C. for a while, but then there was one particular um, rally that was right on the mall. Um, you know, and it was like thousands of people and it was like, uh, Dr. Cornell West and Michael Moore. And then I was next, you know, as a speaker. So that was a time when, you know, now if you talk to anybody about the war in Iraq, they'd be like, oh yeah, that was a bad idea. We shouldn't have done it. But at that time it was like the Dixie chicks and like two other people, you know what I mean? That were speaking out. So I didn't ever really even think about it in its totality. I just had an opinion and a thought that I was passionate about, and I just went out and spoke on it. But it just so happened that the late A. Poland, um, you know, his son was actually at the rally, and he agreed with me, and he was on that side. So A. Poland was like, oh, I heard about the, you know, your your, your speech at the rally. It was great, everything like that. But if he would have been a, a staunch conservative or something like that, that whole scenario would have played out completely differently. I, that would probably have been the last you saw of me, you know, to be honest with you. And, you know, I was just, you know, it just, I'm just blessed that that's the way that it happened. But the media, I remember the guy, you remember Tom Knott from the Washington Times? After that, he hated me, like with a passion, like how dare you say something like that and speak against the country? And then he was using all inflammatory language, like anti-American, you know, you don't, you're ungrateful, you know, you don't deserve your contract, like that. All of that stemmed from me speaking out against the war in Iraq. And so I experienced that. It's just that we didn't have social media. So I didn't experience to the level the guys experience it now. Like, I remember when, you know, at that time, you know, we, we was, um, you know, MJ would always get like this big thing of, of fan mail. 
You know what I mean? Like all the, every day you get another big thing of fan mail. And, you know, y'all would get a whole lot of fan mail and stuff like that. I would get a few, few letters from people from Syracuse or back from Tulsa or something like that. You know what I mean? But then after that, I started getting these big boxes of mail, right? And I'm looking through the mail, and a lot of them were from really angry people. You know what I mean? Like, how dare you? And how, you know, so if, I remember reading them. I was like, uh, am I going to have to get security or something? Like, this is, they, people are really upset. But it was through mail. Like, or, you know what I mean? It wasn't like everybody could hit my Twitter mentions and everybody could, you know, with social media. That's completely different. That's a different level of hate to sit down, write a letter, put it in a mailbox. Like, people yeah. wouldn't go to a lot of trouble for, for that. For that right, right. Uh, what did it mean to have Abe Poland, though? Even if he didn't 100% agree with everything, but at least he, he seemed like he had your back. How did that support? So, so funny story. After that, you know, because I was, I was up here and it was during the summer. So I was actually downstairs in a practice gym. Uh, working out and so I'm working out and I think like Moran was with me or somebody else it was just you know not not a whole lot of guys around because it was the summertime and I remember getting a um you know somebody coming in they said hey um a Poland wants you in your office and I was like uh-oh <laughs> you know because a Poland don't talk to nobody like that in their office not not really so I come to my I come to his office and I'm thinking you know well this this might be it I didn't I didn't think this through but he came in I walked in and he had this big smile on his face. And that's when he told me his son was at the rally. And we sat down and talked for like an hour. You know, we was talking about different things about, you know, what he wants to do with the team and, you know, when, when, why he changed it from the Bullets to the Wizards and talked about gentrification and what he tries to do with affordable housing. Like we had this long conversation, um, you know, and it, it was, like I said, it was, I was just lucky that that's the way that it worked out because if he had a different opinion or took, had a different stance, that whole thing would have been completely different, like completely different. And, you know, just, I, but I didn't ever, I never experienced the, um, you know, like the coaches or the general managers or anything like that on the teams kind of telling me not to speak or you're doing too much or anything like that. I didn't really experience that. And, but, but the NBA is a lot different than the NFL. So NFL, you talk to NFL players and they have a totally different story. Now, now they're trying to turn over a new leaf, um, even though they skipped past the person who they exiled from the NFL, but you know, they're, they're, they're trying to go to a new direction. But uh, yeah, with the NFL, these guys, they, you talk to them and they're like, you know, they have non-guaranteed contracts and they're basically walking on eggshells unless they're like a superstar. Uh, did you ever face any backlash from any teammates? Anybody outspokenly come out and just be like, hey, man, either knock it off, like we don't need the distraction, or just I fundamentally disagree with you, anything like that? No, not really. I mean, I, I have teammates like ask me about different things, and we would talk about a little stuff, and then they were like, all right, we don't hear all that. You know what I mean? Or some people. This guy, CE, in his, in his playing days, man, he was like the ultimate warrior. Like you, you, you're not having, you know, if, if you may disagree, I mean, you're likely to disagree. You're not having a disagreement in the, the debate that's going to follow. You wasn't yeah. having a conversation with yeah. back then. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was real. So it's so funny because I, my style of being real aggressive on the, on the uh, court was because that was just my style of play. And that was the mind frame that I would go into from playing in Big East basketball and what I grew up. I grew up loving those old Knicks and Miami Heat rivalries and that style of play and the Pistons bad boys. Like that was who I loved, you know, that whole style. So that's what I kind of try to embody. 
And, you know, people thought I was mean. I wasn't mean, though. It was just, that was just the style that I played. <laughs> yeah, just to piggyback off the A Poland deal, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, it's current with what's going on today, but just how important is it to have an, an ally that, that doesn't look like you, you know, oh. that, that's from a, a different race? I mean, how important is that? It's incredibly important. So that's, you know, it's interesting. So, you know, so, so take, for instance, Drew Brees. He came out and he, he said a statement in the video, was talking about um, taking a knee, and if anybody is taking a knee, they're disrespecting America. And his teammates responded. You know, Malcolm Jenkins gave a real honest post about it. His teammates talked to him. And then he, you know, he learned, and then he said, okay, I, you know, what I thought was wrong, and now I want to be an ally. So, so I, wrote, I wrote an actual article um, in The Athletic, and I, I told him that it's great to be an ally, but you have to be an ally in word as I mean, indeed, as well as in word, you know, so the words are great. The videos are great. And that, that's literally like I'm not taking anything away from it. It's great. But now you have to actively be an ally. So now you have to use your 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 privilege and your position, because there are going to be different people who Malcolm Jenkins could say it 25 times. They're not going to hear Malcolm Jenkins, but they'll hear Drew Brees. You know what I mean? And that's why. So I take it in the, like in the NBA, like Popovich. Like, there's people, LeBron can say 25 things. There's a certain demographic that's not going to hear LeBron, but they'll hear Popovich. You know, they'll hear St Steve Kerr, you know, uh, Stan Van Gundy. Like, those, so it's, it's really important to have allies because, you know, it, I would say right now, you know, looking around and as the different protests happened and the demonstrations and everything, this is probably the most white people that I have seen just come out and support and, and speak out against a black man losing his life to the police. Like it's the most, in, in my lifetime, I've never seen this. Like you're looking all across the country, all across, you know what I mean, the world, you're seeing masses of protests of saying, okay, of people saying, okay, this isn't right. Like this cannot keep going on. We have to change something. And it's, and it's, it's just different. It's different when we're out there by ourselves to when we have allies out there with us. It's just, like you can even look back in history with, um, you know, with Dr. King, when they were marching across, you know, Edmund Pettus Bridge and, you know, you, you, you look at the, you know, Selma movie. And at first, when they was by themselves, man, the police ran through there, beat everybody, everything like that. Then they got all the white clergy from all across the country and they stood with them. And the police, like, hesitated and they paused and their whole reaction was completely different. Then the governor came and wanted to talk to him. Then the, the mayor, all of that, because the white clergy was around. They weren't trying to hear him when it was just them. Like, that's that's kind of the same that what happens now. So, you know, what I keep saying with white people, that is it's great that now that you have this awakening, and it doesn't matter. We can't worry about, okay, where was you all this time? Like, you could, we, don't even, we don't have time to worry about that. You're here now, okay? So it's like, now use your privilege um, to be able to push for actual change. Do you feel like this time really is different? Like because of that, this is enough to to make meaningful change. I mean, you wrote a book about fifty years of examples of of terrible things, and mm -hmm. it's not a ton different. So, uh, do you think we can kind of get over the hump this time? I think you have to. And one of the things that you know, working with a lot of the family members of the victims of police brutality, since I interviewed them, I started working with them a lot on a different thing, and they all are saying the same things where we have to change the laws. So Tiffany Crutcher, you know, has this thing I quote her all the time with it. She says, you know, we can't legislate somebody's heart. You can't do that. All the sensitivity training and all that stuff is a waste of time. 
you know, but we, what we have to do is be able to hold them accountable and change the laws to where they're actually punished if they do do something um, that is illegal, out of character, out of out of line, and they and they show bias and their hate in their deeds. And I think that's one hundred percent accurate. And so now, why when people are talking about police reform now, um, there are certain things like specific that can easily be kind of adjusted. Like I'll give you an example. So. Right now, we have a system where a lot most police departments, when a police officer kills someone, okay, um, there should be an independent investigator that has nothing to do with the police department. That's what should happen. But right now, the police department they investigate themselves. They have an internal investigation, and then they come back and then they tell us what happened and what their findings were. Well, that doesn't even make sense. You know what I mean? I mean, like, we have kids. We talked about it before. If I left it up to my kids to tell me what they did wrong and what their punishment would be, they would never have no point. They would never help be held accountable for anything. And right now, that's what we have with the police. And it's it's just a system that logically does not make sense. But to hold, to, if you have an outside investigator, you know, then it shows uh, more transparency. And I've done a lot of work with different, um, you know, programs with different police departments and everything like that. And they wouldn't mind that. A lot of them say, no, that would take it off. They, that would take it off of us. And it would show more transparency because right now there is a huge mistrust between the community and the, and the police departments and for good reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like it's something we're making up. You see police officers on video that you watch them kill somebody. And then after they come back and they say, well, there's a whole lot of stuff that happened, you know, a little bit before the video. And so the police officers all are acquitted. And it's the same thing over and over. A lot of times they're not even charged to even get go through the process where they can even be possibly convicted. So the whole system and the way that we police in this country right now, it doesn't make sense and it needs to be changed. But that's going back to Kyrie and what he's uh, specifically trying to do is trying to get a lot of the CEOs of different NBA teams to use their, their power their, their, you know, in their positions in the different cities to actually influence change. And they could all do that. All of them could do that because they have that level of cloud in the different cities that they're in. And I'd say it's 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 different. I mean, the, the look and feel of the the, the outrage, you know, the, the crowds, they're, they're different. And it's gonna take those faces to change the system. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important for me is that a lot of these faces that have become allies, yes, we need the deeds, uh, to be done with that, but you first need the voice, and we've we've gotten a lot of voices to push our issues along this time, right? I mean, this time. So we've seen this happen over and over and over. Right. But this time does feel a little bit different because it, it's 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 widespread now. You know, mm-hmm. the everything was shut down when when these things happened, so you couldn't turn your television like this was really real life. It was really in front of you. Um, so that gave an opportunity to shine an even brighter light on the situation. Mm-hmm. And with people being unemployed and comparing themselves to a black person, and like, well, if, if we're having this struggle, I can imagine or I can't imagine the sort of struggle that they're dealing with on a daily basis because it's their norm. Right. It's not normal for us, and I can't wait till it gets back to normal, but things are happening to this group of people and it's, it's, it's normal. Mm -hmm. So I think it's different. 
I like, you know, like you, you guys talked about the different owners and it's, it's amazing to me. Well, it's not amazing because the athletes that are in the 450 in the league, they're tied to the people mm-hmm. because a, a number of them come from that struggle. So they have an understanding of what people need. That's why they're always the first to go into their pocket. That's why they're always the first to step up to an issue because they don't have those, those behind the scenes political ties that these owners have that we don't know about. These, right. these guys are donating money and doing different things to yep. stuff that you'd be appalled if you knew exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. But the athletes are different. And any sort of cause that pops up, they're stepping in because they understand that struggle. So when you have the athletes that have a voice or have a word or have a, percep- or, or, or a, a perception on how things should go with Kyrie, mm-hmm. then that voice is necessary because you know in whole that these athletes are going to step up to all of these social causes, whether it be through pocket, whether it be through face, uh, time, but these athletes are showing up. So with me, it, it is different and we have a long way to go. Uh, but again, it's platforms like this that we are set up to talk about sports and basketball and events that we can intertwine, you know, the real conversations that, you know, really bring the sports together. And that's different races of people, you know, working together for a common goal. More and more faces in the crowd. That's what we're hoping for, that they're working now towards the common goal of our people. And, right. and, and, but I do feel that there's a different conversation, a different vibe that's around this period of time than, than it has been. I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys say that because, you know, from my perspective, it, it definitely seems a lot more sort of widespread and you hear it from people that you wouldn't have heard it from before. So hopefully it, it sort of takes root. Um, Atan, are there any examples from the book that, you know, for anybody that hasn't read the whole thing or, or gone through it yet, is there one particular interview or one particular story that, that you can think of that, that kind of hammers some of this home for, for somebody? Um, well, yeah, this is, I don't know where to start with, but I'll, I'll say with closer to home, you know, I interviewed, um, uh, some of the guys from the wizards, uh, Bradley Bill and John Wall. And, um, you know, Bradley Bill was talking about the backlash that he received after he spoke out after the back-to-back murders of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. And I, I had a lot of respect for the fact that he didn't back down. You know, he didn't back down. He said that this is what he what he feels and he, you know, he, and it, it, looking back at what he said, he was just saying that black lives matter. And of course, a lot of people say, well, all lives matter. And he was like, are you serious right now? He was like, of course, all lives matter. But if all lives did matter, then we wouldn't have to single out the black lives matter. You know, I mean, then why, why would you come back and say all lives matter when after we're talking about specifically two black men who just been uh, murdered, you know, back to back days? Um, you know, by the police. Why would that be with your response? And he didn't back down. And that was, you know, to I was I was really impressed after hearing him um, say that. And then I I, I spoke to Ted Leonsis, uh, interviewed him for the book, and I asked him my um, point blank, would he ever punish anyone for speaking their mind? And he said no. And I was like, and I you know, and I, I kind of knew that answer already because I'd already you know spoken to the guys, and you know, just from when when I was there. And the whole culture. But like I said, the NBA is a lot different than the NFL. And he talked about how he was proud of how Bradley Bill handled that situation and how he spoke up. And, you know, he, he's speaking up for some people who don't have the platform to be able to speak up for themselves. But he was so, you know, complimentary of it. And then I also interviewed Adam Silver. And I asked him pretty much the same things. You know, would you punish someone 
who use their platform to speak out on something. And then the caveat is that you disagree with. Because anybody could, you know, applaud someone who says something that they agree with. But the caveat is if you disagree with, and he said, and Adam Silver, I was, you know, I, I was I was happy to hear him say that, you know, no, he has a appreciation for the rich history of athlete activism in the NBA. He talked about Bill Russell, talked about Jabbar, you know, he talked about the current wave of athletes that are using their voices and, you know, and, and the thing about, you know, Adam Silver, he's a lot different than his predecessor. He's a lot different than David Stern, to be quite honest. David, people have to always remember, you know, Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf happened under David Stern's watch. You know, they were banished from the NBA. You know, Adam Silver takes a completely different approach. Um, and the reason why you, one of the reasons why you see so many people young guys not afraid to use their voice and not afraid to speak out because Adam Silver keeps reiterating, you will not be punished for using your voice. But with David Stern, it was kind of looming that there might have to be something that happens if you speak out too much. You know what I mean? If you're, I, a lot of people all the time when I, they're like, hey, babe, be careful. Remember what happened to Craig Hodges? You know what I mean? Whatever happened to Matt Moore. And these were different, different guys in the league, different, you know, I remember playing against the Pistons and Ben Wallace told me that, hey, I love what you're doing, man, but you got to be careful, bro. You, you know, different reporters. So that was like a, a common thought around the league. It's not there anymore. And that's, you know, that's much to the credit of people like Adam Silver, who is, you know, starts from the top. Just mentioned, you know, you know, Brad and, and John and John made some comments that, you know, talking basketball now, mm-hmm. of, of playing, you know, is it, summarizing, but is it worth, you know, going down and playing eight games and then returning home, uh, even, you know, even if healthy? Uh, did you see those comments? And if you did. So, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, see, it's hard because I think it's just a bad idea all around. So it's hard for me to, you know, I think it's a bad idea for any, any organization, any level to want to come back right now with the coronavirus. That's what I feel. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the NCAA and they want to push for college football and I'm just, you know, looking at even, you know, my, my college, Syracuse University. So it's not open for students to come back, but they want to bring back the football team to, to, to practice and get ready and train to have, you know, voluntary workouts. But, you know, with, with football, they say voluntary, but everybody's supposed to be there. And I was like, wait a minute, this is not right. You know what I mean? The, the campus is not open for anybody else, but you have the football team there practicing and working and everything like that. Something's wrong with that. And just as the, the, the NBA coming back and the NHL and the MLB and, you know, NFL, everybody pushing to come back, I think they're all bad ideas, all of them. I mean, we've, all, we've bumped into each other on the AAU trail. I'm getting emails from different AAU organizations that want to come back. I think it's a horrible idea, too. I think it's horrible for Trump to have his rallies. Like, any place where you're congregating right now, they act like the coronavirus is over. It ain't over. You know what I mean? I'm, let's look at the numbers. And then for of all the places to go to the one the worst state right now in the country with coronavirus cases and hospitalizations and deaths is Florida. Florida. So that's where you're going to send, even though they're in a bubble, they're still going to the place with the worst cases in the entire country. It's, it's a bad idea. That's all I can say. It's a bad. So I will say that the NBA probably has the best plan of all the terrible plans. That I can say. You know what I mean? But it's still terrible. But it's the best of the terrible. So it's better than NHL, better than what baseball's coming up with, better than NFL. It's, it's better than those, but it's still terrible, in my opinion. So, so healthy or not, eight games or not, championship contender or not, 
think it's all no a bad way idea. I'm not going. I think it's all a bad idea. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I think all of it is. Because, I mean, you all you got to do is just look at the numbers. Just look at the numbers of, of where those. So we're just getting the numbers back from Memorial Day weekend. And every place that opened up around the country, the numbers are going up. All of them, all of them. I mean, Oklahoma, you know, you know, Missouri, you got Texas, Florida, Georgia, they're all going up. So it's like, yeah, okay, we haven't quite gotten a handle of this whole pandemic yet. So then when the second wave does come, then everybody's going to have to just shut down completely again. You know, I mean, I, it, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make logical sense to me. Now, economic sense, I understand, because you want to, you know, boost the economy, you want to have to generate, you know, I, I understand it from an economic standpoint. But from a health standpoint, from like a, a coronavirus pandemic standpoint, it makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, I, I think when you have to implement something like a snitch line, you know, basically, <laughs> for, so you, you can you can rat out your your opposing, you know, uh, opponents because maybe they left the bubble or snuck out. Like I just whenever you need something like that, that that sounds like a pretty bad idea overall. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, and then there's all kinds of complications with you know, they might be kept in a bubble of players and, and team officials, but the people working on site at Disney are not asked to sort of do the same thing. So, right. so how safe is that really? I, as a fan, like I'm so desperate to watch sports. I, I hope they can figure out a way to do it safely. But at the end of the day, like you do have to make a safe, responsible choice. And, and like you said, Florida seems like probably the last place you'd want to be right now. <laughs> the absolute last place. So I, I mean, that's, that's what I think. I think it's a terrible idea all around. Uh, I, I think Wall specifically has gotten some pushback from from those comments. Just from, I, I think people are are distilling it down to just like a very small portion of that comment where it's just, I don't care if I would be just just be going for the eight games. And I think the fact that it's sort of not acknowledging that they could play their way into the playoffs and stuff is sort of what I think has been hard for people to yeah, to swallow. Like he's giving up on a season, but you're talking about like apples and oranges, like, you know, playoffs and positions and stuff like that. I'm talking about the coronavirus, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's totally different. Like, and it's interesting because I've heard those comments and I've heard the people get upset when Damian Lillard said that he didn't know if he wanted, you know, and all that. And I'm like, yeah, it's interesting. You want somebody to entertain. That was what Kyrie was saying. It's like, it seems something kind of weird for us to go in a bubble when all this stuff is going on, on around the country to entertain people. Like, it, something doesn't seem right with that. And I 100% agree. So you want to stay safe in your home while we have all this, you know, this weird and all go down to Florida of all places. I mean, I, I, mean, I just can't say it enough. I think it's, I, I, I think it's a terrible idea. I, I will say this, mm -hmm. is that if there's no basketball within the next, say, six weeks or so, okay. these guys are going to get into the gym and play pickup basketball. They're, they're going to get into the gym – for an, an open run as these states open up, I have a strong feeling that they're not necessarily concerned about the virus anymore. You know, now they're talking about the, the, the dollars and the, you know, you know, how it affects, you know, next year. So That's a good point. It, it's, it's skewed now. I mean, they're, they're really focused on not necessarily the virus at all. And, you know, obviously we're talking about the social cause mm -hmm. and, you know, they're not, you know, it's a concern, but they're not necessarily pushing not that the virus is, is going to hold them back or stop them. But if that second, when that second wave comes, everybody's going to be concerned. Yeah. So I honestly think that you know, I, I, my prediction, my thought is that we're going to go back to how we were before, as far as being quarantined, and you're going to see you know entire states you know on lockdown, everybody, because I think that second virus is going to hit. 
I mean, the numbers are are going that way. I mean, you listen to Dr. Fauci, you listen to different experts, they're like, it's coming. Like, they're all saying it. So I, I don't really understand why, you know, less attention is being paid to them, who that's their job, that's their level of expertise, you know what I mean? But we go listen to Trump, who says, eh, everything's fine, everybody go back to normal, let's get, yeah, everything's hey, dr- all right. Drink Clorox. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go with what the experts are saying. Yeah, yeah. Tom, obviously you kind of made your mark as a defensive center, um, in defensive-minded, rebounding presence, and um, the Wizards kind of have two guys right now where maybe that's one of the bigger knocks on their game in, in Thomas Bryant and, and Mo Wagner. Um, what what have you seen from those guys? What do they need to improve on? How can they kind of get better in that role? Well, I mean, I think one of the things just as a whole, you want to see the, the whole team there. You want to see they're a different team when John Wall is on the floor. And I think Bradley Bill, had, you know, is really coming to his own phenomenally. Um, and I really want to see that that tandem together again and seeing how everything falls from there. It's kind of like when you had, you know, um, you know, Gilbert and, and, and Larry together and it just flowed. It just worked and it made everybody's job easier and everybody, you know, it just flows. So then when you take one of them out the equation, then, you know, you have different people doing things that they're may- maybe that's not the role that they would have if everybody else was there. And, you know, it's hard. So you really have to judge them when you see the whole team healthy. A lot of times you, you look at, I don't know how these guys do it these days, like with social media. I would have hated to have social media back in the day. I, mean, I don't know if I'm too sensitive for it or something, but you just have all these, and they all have like like thousands and thousands of followers, right? So they have thousands and thousands of people telling them how terrible they are when they lose. I wouldn't have wanted that. I don't know, I don't know if, you would have, if it would have bothered you as much, Bug, but I wouldn't have wanted that at all. So, you know, I think they just need to ignore all of that stuff and just concentrate on, you know, everybody being healthy and everybody coming back together. And then I think everything will flow a lot better. And I, and I went to a lot of the games last year um, and I saw them and, you know, you saw, you know, a little bright spot here, a little bright spot there. You didn't see the continuity and it, you know, of course all that stuff you can pick apart, but you, you have to also remember you're not seeing the whole team together. So I don't even think you should even discuss anything from last year. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? As a whole unit, because you can't really judge them unless all of them are there together. That's my opinion. Uh, both those guys are younger too, and, and we've talked a little bit in, in you know previous episodes about how it's tough to be defensively like uh, you know a, a strong presence as a young you know either rookie, second year player, especially in the post. When did you really feel like you sort of settled into like your peak as a you know defensive player? Well, well, first, when, when MJ was there, I was kind of doing more watching. You know what I mean? Um, and then when that, that year after, after Doug Collins left and Eddie Jordan came in, it was kind of where, where I had more of an opportunity. And, you know, it was just – it's just you have to know your role. And so my role wasn't to go out there and shoot threes. <laughs> you know what I mean? That wasn't my role. You know, my role was to set good picks for Bug and, and G.A., and crash the boards and you know I had a specific role so I just stuck to my role and tried to do it the best of my ability and the harder that I worked the more I was able I was I was getting more playing time and coach Jordan would play me more so I would I just have to he was like listen this is you're doing well you know don't you don't have to go outside of the what you're doing you're, what you're doing is doing well and we had a system I think what some some of the times when when guys, because, you know, it's different because basketball is different now because you have guys that can do so much. 
and guys that can play so many different positions. But when you have people that are trying to do, everybody's trying to do the same thing, it's not going to work. You have to fall into roles. And, you know, when you see guys play now, the teams that are most successful is when guys accept roles. You know, the see you see where the guys are kind of fighting to see who gets to shoot next and they're not working together. And, you know, and you see it. You can, you can just tell a, a talented team, but you know that they're not going to be, especially in the AAU, you know, realm. You see a whole talented team, team all-stars. Like, they all can hoop, and they don't play together at all. And, you know, you're like, oh, we can, we can beat these cats. They don't even play together. And they're easy to strategize against. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was, that's what I had. And we had a good system, you know, and I, and I say it all the time. Um, you know, they made a real mistake when they didn't resign book when they didn't resign Larry Hughes that was a huge mistake and that that they were playing a game and I kind of you know I, I fault Ernie Grunfeld for that because he came in wanting to you know do a little bit too much negotiating when he should have just made sure that Larry knew that this is where you know you were wanted and we're going to do everything to keep you from the jump and you know make sure that he retained because him and Gilbert together was a was a tandem that was just you know top notch but after Boog left, there was a different Gilbert. And Gilbert kind of, you know, looked to him like a big brother, you know, from their relationship with Golden State, just the way, and then the way that they vibe. And Boog could, like, kind of calm Gilbert when he's about to go off the edge sometimes. And it's hard to explain, but you just had to, if you were, like, on the corner seeing it, you know what I mean? You could see it in Boog's demeanor. Like, he would never get rattled. Like, he would just... You know, Gilbert would be like, you like this? And you know, would just almost just bring him down. <laughs> you know, it's, it was hard to explain. I, I can't explain it, but that's what I saw. And then so after Boog was not there the next year, a lot of stuff started falling apart. Like Gilbert would have like these spectacular games, but then he would have friction with certain things. And then, you know, like when Quran came and they had a little bit of friction. It was just a different type of a, you know, environment, different type of a vibe. But yeah, that was one of the biggest mistakes with them not resigning the book. Yeah, I think too is like you you said like you know, knowing your role, mm-hmm. and what's what's special is when your teammates know your role. Mm-hmm. So when your teammates expect for you to do exactly what you do best, and I can remember a lot of times is don't foul, just just stand them up, mm-hmm. and he was always coming from the the, the weak side right. to get the block. So yeah. and it was again, it was more you know, inside out. So they would mm-hmm. throw the ball to the post and would bang and bang and bang. But the thought was fighting, fighting, fighting until he goes up. Mm-hmm. He's coming on the backside to clean you up. Yeah. That was his role. We knew he would be there. Sometimes yeah. we would allow a guy a little bit more space, mm-hmm. you know, just because we knew that he would be there to clean that up so we can get out to the offensive end. So that was definitely a role that was being played. And I think what, what was more important is all the guys understood what everybody's role was. And that's how we work well together. Is that obviously the and sometimes you get into NBA coaches, they don't necessarily want to give guys roles, right? They've all been good at some level. So some coaches aren't strong enough to to police that. Right. But like once the players get involved with understanding what everybody's role is, what everybody does well, then we saw success. Right. And that was completely I mean that's that's why we won games. That, that's why we were effective. Is because we understood what everybody was bringing to the table. That's true.
Is that on coaches to be able to deliver those roles and, you know, the GM to be able to kind of bring you in with the expectation that that's your role? Or is it just sort of like that works out, like certain teams work out in a special way where people just kind of get it and they fit into pieces and are all of the above maybe? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say that it has to come from the coach. I mean, because if players begin to, to, to initiate that process, somebody's going to get a role that they're not happy with, and it's going to come true. from a peer. That's but true. if it's coming from a coach and then you could, you know, you can talk to your peers about the role that the coach gave you, and then we can have some conversations about maybe expanding that role or, you know, just conversations about it. But if, if a coach is not willing to set that standard or set that mark, then I, I think teams have, have trouble. I you agree. Know, I think teams struggle. I agree. You mentioned Larry's departure and, and how things kind of came a little unglued after that. Is that kind of one of the main things you would point to for why those mid 2000s teams never really got over the hump? Well, that and LeBron, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, we, I mean, you have to put throw that in there as well. I mean, we had so we had so many moments where we were right there. I mean, and LeBron just, you know, he was just a young, you know, phenom and there were so many games that would come down to the wire and then he would do something spectacular. I mean, it, we, Oh, it was like four or five years. Like it was just, Oh, what are you going to do? Yeah, there's always something that's a, you know, deciding factor and, and have Brian is, is one that I mean, that's yeah. a pretty good, pretty good deciding <laughs> factor to hold on to hold on to your, your cut card. That's true. <laughs> This is one of the first things people always ask when we hear, you know, we're going to have a specific guest on, but it's been a popular one recently. Um, mm-hmm. Either any good MJ stories, any good Gil stories, any good Larry stories, any, anyone you want to drop on us? I mean, Gil was just so funny, though. He, that, that cat, he was, I, I remember, you know, the game where he went at Kobe. And, you know, they're going back and forth and he's, he's, he's lighting them up. I gotta be honest with you, Gil was lighting them up and Kobe was getting frustrated. Um, and Gil had like maybe 60 or something like that. And he turned around and he took a bow to the crowd afterwards and the crowd was like, ah, and he was just over there just smiling. Uh, that was, that was, that was pretty big. Cause he really, and I remember afterwards, Kobe kind of was a little salty. He was like, well, you know, I could do that if, if the uh, coach let me just shoot the ball every time. No like, conscience. Yeah. I'm like, uh, you do shoot the ball every time. <laughs> what you talking about, Kobe? But that that was a that, I, I laughed about that one. <laughs> Any funny Aton stories? No, just and, and it, it's 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 GA again. I mean, it's <laughs> GA and, and Brendan as well because Brendan uh, was you know was a funny guy too. Eton he didn't really play that like it's. He was even more steel faced than, than me. So, you know, you, you know, guys would make comments and be yapping, you know, just talking, uh, just mixing it up. I mean, I can just remember all the times that this E would give that look. Like, like, yeah, you know, you look you give your kids when it's time to get straight up. He, he would always give that look, man. And like I said, you know, he had the, um, you know, the arm bands across the biceps. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I love the guy, man. I love the guy. We don't, we don't see each other talk as much, man, but. You know, that, that team, like we've always said, man, was it was special. It was yeah. special. We built some things, you know, on and off the court. That, like I said, we knew, you know, everybody's place. So right. it made it a fun environment. But, yeah, that, those looks, those looks for me used to get the guys when they get, get going. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. 
if you want to, you know, just to, to close out, if you want to add anything, mm -hmm. anything that you have going on, if you have any, um, you know, podcast platforms, anything that you have uh, going on that our listeners can, can uh, you know, take a look at. Sure, sure, sure. I'm on uh, ESPN Syracuse. I have a, a, a show called Center of Attention um, that I do Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. Uh, here locally, here in D.C., I have the, the Collision, when sports and politics collide. I do with Dave Zirin um, every Thursday morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, I, I write for The Guardian. I write for The Undefeated. And, um, you know, just keep myself busy. The website is atomthomas.com. And, uh, yeah, that's what it is. My man. Yeah, hey, thank you so much. This was great. Oh no, this is great. Anytime, you know, Boog is my guy, so whatever. That's I'm, I'm all good. <laughs> like likewise, if you got anything you want me to come jump on, you know, right, no problem. Up. Even Matt, Matt will give his time as well. Uh, all right, so just, just reach out. Anything you got going on, I'm I'm there. That's what's up. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.